Hello and welcome to Definitions, the podcast where we crack the lid of the coffin on death, dying and all the morbid morsels in between. Before we go any further, halt and take heed. These are your words of warning. I will be discussing topics of a deathly nature that may be upsetting to some, as we will be talking about queer horror movies and everything that they entail. If you're not in the right headspace to get down and dirty with the maggots today, then that's fine. I totally get it. Sometimes you'd rather dig into cake and a good romance novel than a freshly dug grave. Now's your time to save yourself. If you're still here, I'll assume you've got your shovels at the ready, because today is part two of chatting to my splendiferously spooky best friend Meg about all things queer horror. This week, we're looking back at some of our favourite queer horror films, so let's get stuck in. Hello. Hello. To be honest, at this point, I will have already done the introduction, so I will have already said welcome back to Definitions, but welcome back to Definitions. Thank I you am so much. once again. Once. Oh. <laughs> I am once again joined by my fantabulous um, best friend, Meg. Tis I. Hello, thank you for having me. So, if you listened to last week's episode, um, you will have heard us talking all things queer horror books and this week we are talking th- all, all things queer horror movies um, and if you did listen to us last week um, then we sort of already covered a little bit about how there is a bit of a difference when it comes to queer horror in books and in films yeah. um, in terms of where we're at right now mm. with representation and with what is being produced and what is being brought out um and there's a lot more mainstream queer books which are coming out written by you know queer authors it's easier um because there's less people involved you know it's maybe them and their editor uh, i'm not saying it's easy to get published as a queer person <laughs> but it's a slightly different process um whereas when you're looking at queer horror films um there's a lot more people involved and so from the seed of the idea to the point where it's released there are many more stages for it to get fucked up yeah and go wrong and as you touched on last week as well so much of it is linked to capitalism yeah and films films mass yeah yeah because unfortunately you know we'd all love well i don't know if we would all love arts for art's sake i think that's why you didn't do fine art Mm. um maybe that's a story for another time Mm. but Art, you know, I mean, yeah, you still got to put bums in seats. Yeah. But I think there are people on the production side who don't realise how many bums you could put in seats. Exactly. It's far more marketable yeah. if you want to only focus on that yeah. than a lot yeah. of the higher ups think. But I think this is a weird thing that only queer people want to interact with queer media. Yeah. And the idea that it's only for queer people. But they've said this about every quote-unquote minority group. I mean, this is totally true. It won't sell, mm-hmm. and it's 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 bullshit because we we we've we've witnessed it be bullshit. Yeah. You know, particularly over the last few years. 
Um, but yeah, so we're gonna take you through some of our favourites or sort of films that we think are notable for queer horror. Some of them are not necessarily very out, should we say. Yes. Maybe because they were being shot and produced in a time period where they couldn't be, but whether it's just allegory um, or whether you've got queer actors, you know, they're worth talking about. Um, and I mean, even some today where maybe they don't have like, well, no, they do have queer characters. Maybe they're not like overtly queer, but they still kind of feel it. We were talking about that with Freaky. Oh, I love Freaky. Which. It's so good. Is, I mean. It's a slasher. Freaky Friday. The fact that Jamie Lee Curtis wasn't in it is so upsetting <laughs> to me because it is yeah. literally Freaky Friday meets Halloween. I know. Like that yeah. she doesn't even have a cameo. Like those it's, two films walk, so it? this could run. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, it's it's the masked yeah. killer who's stalking a young woman. Young woman. Yeah. So That's yeah, true. you could say it has Jason connotations. Maybe she'll be in the sequel. Oh my god! Please do a sequel. Please do a sequel if you are. You won't be listening to this, but if you're someone who is Vince Vaughn, if Vince Vaughn is listening, please. (laughs) But it it was just fantastic. Like the idea of a serial killer in a teenage girl's, like, getting body swapped with a teenage girl. It's not been announced. No. So get on it. God, I hope they do one. But that is fantastic, and that. I mean, it, it's in the realm of camp. It's very camp. And camp cannot help but live in the world of queer. Mm-hmm. Like, we could go full a Susan Sontag on you with, like, camp, you know, full Met Gala, mm-hmm. but we won't because there are other podcasts who will do that and we're just here to talk shit about horror. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the, it has the most wonderful, delicious camp vibes and it's so funny and... If you want, like, something that you can yell at the TV for mm. and have fun watching. It's just good old-fashioned fun. It is. It's so much fun. It's it's like the original Screams and even the yeah. modern Screams. Yeah. Yes, they're scary at points. Yes, they're horrific yeah. at points, but they're just fucking yeah. fun. It's definitely... I mean, yeah, films like Scream have allowed this to happen. Absolutely. And obviously Scream you know, being iconically queer on its own. Um, it's okay. Like, do I need to even talk about, like, stabbing as penetration? Mm. <laughs> like, as, as as violent, toxic male love? Do I even need to, like, no, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't I don't think, think I do. To. I think no. I do. I rewatched it recently, and oh. it's, it's so... It falls into like deliciously into so many good tropes and yet they don't feel tropish because no. you have this like folie de main psychopath with this like besotted follower and just the bit at the end where he's like I don't feel too good <laughs> stabbed <man."> me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was the plan yeah like all along um I was like, don't tell my mom. <laughs> and I don't think we need to 
to give spoilers for Scream. No, I've got it. I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> but just the fact that it's like Matthew Lillard, Lillard um, yeah. Shaggy from Scooby Doo, it just makes it more wonderful. Um, we didn't include Scooby Doo. The live action. Yeah, the live action. I mean, all Scooby Doo is queer. Yeah, but it's so gay. I mean, especially because Velma Mm -hmm. is confirmed gay. Yes. Um, Fred's gay. Sorry, Fred was a fucking ascot. Fred's very gay. Fred is like. Daphne is Fred's beard. Mm -hmm. Daphne is a lipstick lesbian. You've heard it here, and it's that means it's true. Um, Shaggy might be the only straight one. Shaggy's gay. I mean, I feel like he's more pan. He's fluid. He's Mm. he doesn't really care. Because he's high all the time. Yeah. He's a stoner. He's just vibing. <laughs> all stoners are pan. He's, well, yeah, because you're not going to remember what bits you had anyway. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's a hot take. <laughs> Sorry to <laughs> stoners out there, but um, am I wrong? Well, I'm not a stoner, I couldn't possibly say. But yeah, Scream is just Scream is great. fantastic and yeah, iconically. Mm-hmm queer i mean even even in the nah no i don't i don't even want to like just because i could sit here and talk about it for the whole screen for a long time yeah exactly um but freaky certainly runs in the same vein yeah but it is less smart scream is scream is so yeah no scream is groundbreaking yeah it was kind of the the original piss take but then it, but then it almost isn't because no. it's, I, I, I was talking to Sarah, my partner, about this, um, who has like an, an uh, a minor in film studies, so, you know. I was thinking. That. Yeah, no, that means that she likes films in black and white. And, I mean, I like films in black <laughs> and white, but you, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, I'm very lowbrow with my film uh-huh. taste, and I'm fine with that. Uh-huh. Um, she actually has some standards. Um, is what I'm trying to say, but... I mean, she reads classics. I know. I don't read classics. I know. No. no. We should. <laughs> not a one. <laughs> <laughs> when I have, I've not enjoyed them. That Re- explains anything you need to know about my personality. Recommend us your favourite classics. <laughs> and I maybe... won't read them. <laughs> <laughs> you might. Maybe you'll convince us. Con- convince us to, to give them a go. Um... Getting back to it, can we talk about the queer, iconic film that made everyone buy Jennifer's Bob? Well, not even buy, just full-on raging lesbian. Yeah. 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 I mean, what is there that you can't say about it that isn't gay? Vampires, Mm -hmm. gayness, Mm -hmm. panic at the disco. Oh my god, yeah. What more could you want? I just, like, the lighter scene. Even if you've only ever seen the trailer, you know the lighter scene. And if you're as a, an asexual, that was hot. It's just like literally. I, <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. But like, even I just, I just love a female villain. Oh god, yes. Just... There's nothing we hate more than watching or reading something with a female villain, mm. and then it's like, oh well, she's not really evil. Oh god. Like, oh, she's not really evil. She's this just is... traumatized. No, let them be fucking evil. Right? Because uh, this was my issue with and sorry if you love it. And obviously you're allowed to love what you love and this is just my opinion. But Maleficent. Oh, 
whilst I love a backstory and I love a fleshing out of a story, don't apologise for female rage. Yeah, <laughs> like please don't apologise. Be crazy because like this isn't real life. This is, we're allowed to live vicariously, yeah. and, and we'll go on and talk a bit more about this, specifically in terms of queer-coded mm-hmm. um, horror. Like, it's meant to be horrifying. Yeah. But also, there's a reason why we come back to horror time and time again, and sometimes it's because we identify with the villains. And sometimes they're doing things that we would never, ever do, but in our, like, deepest rage, mm-hmm. um, you know, like in the the, the darkest parts of us, mm-hmm. you know, like she eats boys. <laughs> she lures them out with sex mm. and then she fucking eats them. Yeah. And like, it's great. all I can do is just holler and click my fingers, <laughs> you know, just snap, just like, yes. <laughs> you know, and the whole time you've got like Amanda Seyfried being, I mean, I think Jennifer is Pan. Yeah. But Amanda Seyfried's character is gay. <laughs> gay, gay, really, gay. she is now. <laughs> oh, she is from the start. Like, they're making lesbian jokes right yeah, from the beginning. Um, yeah, just let women be evil. Yeah. Please. Let them live deliciously. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Especially when, like... You're so, like if if you grow up assigned female at birth, there's so many societal contracts yeah. that you have to fulfill. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't be this way. Smile. Um, and unfortunately, the older you get, you realise. I hopefully, and it's, it's also a horrible realisation to have. But you realise it's all bullshit. There is no one way you can dress to stop yourself from being assaulted. There is no way you can smile your way out of someone putting their hands where they shouldn't or sending you something that you didn't ask for. Um, And so sometimes you just want to see the boys who do that get ripped to pieces. And uh, it is just fiction. So... Yeah. On that, I just want to add a quote that I read recently. Mm. Um, Kind of relevant, kind of not. But it's, and you can't claim we should have seen this coming when none of us have asked to be a witness. Mm. Which I thought was incredibly powerful. It's, um, the author just went by T, um, and it's a book called Queer Ukraine, which is a very recent anthology mm. of queer people um, in Ukraine after the recent war well, started, current war, or current yeah. war. Um, but that really, obviously, it's about that and about um, oppression in Ukraine pre the war as well but that really resonated and yeah. I think that's a really important and eloquent quote. I think that's beautiful mm. yeah I mean yeah Sorry. no no I'm just <laughs> I'm just I'm just thinking about it mm. um anything you do as an AFAB a queer mm. a non-cis white person is wrong whether you're rude to someone, whether you're polite to someone, you still might get murdered. And if something happens to you, it's your fault. Always. For being different in whether that's because 
you're a cis woman, whether it's because you're a queer person. Um, and there's so much deep rage and sadness and trauma that allowing representations of yourself to be the bad guy sometimes and getting that satisfaction you know i I mean the fact that in the film spoilers but like really (laughs) i came out really mid noughties (laughs) yeah i know like at the end it's not gone you know, it's 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 moved on to Amanda Seyfried's yeah. character because it's like the the rage, the the turmoil is still there. You know, it's it's just it it gets gets passed on. Um, I find rage such an interesting character mm, in general because, mm-hmm. like you said, it's so pervasive in people who have been oppressed. Yeah. And it's so cathartic and important to see that in, like you said, things that we wouldn't necessarily ever do to other people. Yeah, yeah. But I almost feel robbed Mm. when you have a character, especially an AFAB character, who you think is going to be just a fucking killer. Yeah. (laughs) Because they want to be. Yeah. And then it's like, oh no. Wait. No. Wait. No. You know, just what a man did. Yeah. Yeah, she's only doing this because Amanda sometimes, and it's it's not that simple. It is no. in no way in that simple. No. It's about the entire world, the entire society and culture that mm. she or they or you know that they're coming up in. Yeah. Um, but I think it's really interesting then to actually pit Jennifer as a villain who is seemingly murdering without motive mm. um, versus the boys in Scream, yeah. who are murdering without motive Mm -hmm. because she's not she's fueled by rage yeah they're not they are murdering because they can because society has told them that they can take what they want um and it doesn't mean anything to them Mm -hmm. because they've not you you know it's like it's made really clear after the fact that they've killed sydney's mum that it means nothing to them it means absolutely nothing, and yet at the end, you know, it, you, you have Stu being like, "Don't tell my mom," but because they've never been through anything, and Lord above, I don't wish trauma on people. It does teach you empathy, <laughs> and I wish it didn't have to be that way. Like, but but because people a lot of time go and don't go out of their way to educate themselves. And the traumatised people are out here getting further traumatised yeah. by people who've been lucky enough to not be traumatised. Because once you're predisposed to trauma, look it up. That bitch is coming for you. Yeah, look it up. Like, I'm not going to give you the psychology lesson here right now, but there are events in your life that can make you someone who is predisposed to trauma. But anyway, anyway, the point being that, like, them as, as, as characters, as killers, feel very different. Oh, yeah very different i'd love to see a, a really smart person do a side by side of jennifer's body yes yeah, someone smarter than us yeah. not you're not smart but <laughs> so are you <laughs> but we're both too neurodivergent yeah. to sit down for that long and talk on one topic <laughs> i'll take one you take the other and we might be able to make it oh work. god 
Yeah, we no, someone smart. Some please. film grad <laughs> who loves horror yeah. and feminism and queerness, please, mm. please do that, um, and let us know um, if you if you do. Um, but yeah, we we sort of touched on one thing there, which was that queer villains or simply queer coded villains are the only way that a lot of queer people for a long time could see themselves on screen. So um, you might talk about Sleepaway Camp, wherein it is revealed at the end that the killer is a, I mean, spoiler again, but the killer is a trans girl. Um, And it's meant to be the most shocking thing. This girl has a penis. Oh my God. And it's meant to be the biggest shock. And, And I mean, within the context of the movie, it is, it is shocking. But um, there are a lot of people who still really connected with this character who is lashing out um, and, you know, gives focus to, you know, your, your trans rage. But the idea that you're not allowed to, like, empathise with the villain or sympathise yeah. with the villain is maybe i'm extrapolating here but it's how we end up with such awful like prison culture mm. and that kind of thing and i'm not going to wade into that whole debate here because there are smarter people than me who know a lot more about it um but you know we just we we write people off yeah and we say this is it this is this is you for life um we talked about it a little bit in the episode the first episode I did with Tendai, where mm. like we briefly touched on like cancel culture and yeah. not allowing people growth, and I feel like it sort of stems from a similar place. Mm. But to grow, you have to understand where you're coming from first. Yeah, I think there's a lot of kind of that was an ADHD tangent tangent. If Sorry. I've ever been on one, a really good not horror at all, but a really good um, book to read if you're interested in that kind of thing is "So You've Been Publicly Shamed" mm. by John Ron John Ronson. John Ron is your boy. Um, love him. Him and Louis Theroux are your... <sighs> little... Little boys. <laughs> um, no, John Ron's amazing. But it's such an interesting... I think all the versions have this now. The, the, the like, kind of the original ones didn't. But he writes this, you know, and I completely disagree with cancel culture, as I think a lot of people do. People absolutely need to be... Um, you need to be held responsible. You know, held responsible. But you then need to have yeah. the opportunity to um, learn yeah, and better exactly. yourself because otherwise people double down. Yeah, you put that way better than I was going to. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he writes this book about you know people who have, have been cancelled and been publicly shamed, some who really deserved it uh, and who deserve to never be in the public eye again, some who yeah made a really stupid mistake but shouldn't have been cancelled in this way. It's a, it's a case-by-case basis. Yes. Um, and then the afterword, so if you don't know, um, before books are published, they come out as proofs, mm. which are um, advanced reader copies sometimes Arcs. they're called. Arcs. Yeah. Um, and they are not to be quoted. And they are for uh, booksellers and reviewers and people to read and you yeah. legally can't quote them. No, because they're not finished copies yeah. and they may have typos or things that haven't been fully fact-checked, things that may not be included in the, the final version. Exactly. So there's something in the proof that kind of comes across in a racist way, which is not what he meant. I see. And it comes across very badly, yeah. but it's not what he meant. So obviously in the finished book that is absolutely taken out because yeah. it's not what he meant. But someone quotes him From in this arc. proof. 
which is <laughs> really bad. So he then gets publicly shamed. So it's fascinating him doing all his, you know, very serious, brilliant research. Yeah. <laughs> and in the afterward, he's like, so it happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's my personal opinion and how that's gone. It's poetic it's really in some ways. Um, but he's very, very interesting uh, and has done, if you have Audible, um, he's done a lot of Audible exclusive. Um, did he do The Men Who Stare at Goats? He did The Men Who Stare at Goats. I've only watched the film, I've never um, read it. He did Frank, um, which is one of my favourite films and didn't know it was uh, based on a true story. No. Um, he, he, I think he was the keyboardist. Oh. Yeah, don't know. Um, but yeah. he did his Audible um, original podcasts on, um, there's a couple of different ones, The Butterfly Effect was the first one on um, porn and the industry and how damaging it can be to the performers uh, and one particular is about a, a lady who took her own life because of uh, prejudice mm. of, of her chosen job. Um, very, very interesting, as uh, so again, massive tangent, but I will always wrap John Ron. <laughs> If you give me the chance, so I'm gonna stop now. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have a podcast about oh, how much you love John But he has a really annoying voice. <laughs> I'm sorry, John Ron. Let's just we'll leave that there <laughs> before you offend him and he comes for us. Um, I think mm. one which um, oh, if my my biggest recommendation to anyone listening to this who loves queer horror would be to watch the Shudder um, short limited series um, Queer for Fear mm. which is fantastic because it goes through the history of film um, and has interviews with I mean everyone everyone who's anyone in queer horror is interviewed mm. um, and gets to talk about films and it was actually I mean Invasion of the Body Snatchers has been made and remade and um, time and time again it's a story that people come back to um, and I I hadn't actually watched it before I before it came up on Queer for Fear mm. and there were people talking about it as a trans allegory and I think it can work in a lot of ways for anyone who really has to mask who they are in public but particularly for trans people with the idea of being stealth and the idea of going sort of undetected, which for me is not my experience. Um, it's not how I wish to live, and it's I, I very freely and openly talk about it. Um, but for some people, it is is how they wish to live, and that's fine. But for a long time, it was the reality of it was the only way you could live was was to for no one to know. You know, and and your worst nightmare becomes someone knowing, and so off the back of that and having this awareness and, and having been terrified of being outed um, and there are still spaces in my life where that terror still exists but this idea of like everyone stopping dead in the street to turn and point and scream at you for not being like them if you want an idea of, of, of how it feels to be a trans person right now with how trans people are being portrayed in the media, that is it. Watch Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the, the, the really good 1970s version. Um, that's how it feels. Like, it's, it's the, the, best, the best way that I can put it is that absolute immediate fear. There's no way you can go. Yeah. You cannot hide 
there is nothing you can do. Um, and I don't think it's true that danger is around every corner. But with the media the way it is, you can be made to feel that way. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it's just watch it and, and you'll understand. If you're, if you're a trans gender queer person you'll probably understand exactly what I'm saying but I think even if you're someone who is neurodivergent mm -hmm. who I mean you will maybe understand this from a masking in autism perspective yeah. is that there is a part of you that lives in fear of people being like you're different mm -hmm. but it's just like you a... mean my entire life <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it... I, I can relate to that definitely yeah. that dread of Dread is, yeah, that's the word Constant for it. dread of, as, and as someone who was bullied pretty yeah. much my entire childhood, it's that constant, like you said, feeling of everyone's going to suddenly turn around. Yeah. Um, even though, you know, I found my people and I'm yeah. loved authentically now and everything is, you know, good, I surround myself with loving people. Yeah. There's still that ever-present feeling that one day they'll realise yeah I don't know what <laughs> they'll realise something it's if you've not grown up in a safe space mm -hmm. um yeah. or or you've experienced not living in a safe space whether that's emotionally physically there's, there's lots of ways for for that to to manifest um the hypervigilance or the just the vigilance yeah. that um manifests as a result of that whether it's watching yourself and everything you do or watching society and and you know what they're up to and normally it kind of ends up being a weird mix of of both um is really damaging and i mean it's one of the reasons that queer people or neurodivergent people as well i think gravitate towards horror so much mm -hmm. because you can choose to be scared yeah. you can sit in the safety of your own home if the love of God, I hope you can sit in the safety of your own home. I hope that's a safe space. Um, and you can choose to feel frightened and, and you can face and feel some of those emotions in a small amount. You can be scared, you can have the jump scare, you can feel that adrenaline and that rush, but you're safe. Nothing's coming out of the screen to get, I mean, unless it's the rain. <laughs> Nothing's coming out of the screen to get We hope. <laughs> we really we really hope. Um, no, absolutely. Just don't play with Ouija boards, kids. I mean, neither of us believe in paranormal, but... I still wouldn't risk it. No. <laughs> no. I don't believe in it, but I'm not trying it. <laughs> but, yeah, it's... Well, I wrote my dissertation on it all those years ago. Many moons <laughs> ago. <laughs> when I was a child. When I was a young warthog. <laughs> Literally graduated seven years ago, a couple of days ago. Yeah, you texted me about it the other day. Screaming about it. Um, but yeah, so I did illustration at uni, and um, ultimately the goal was, you know, to do children's horror illustration, uh, which is very on brand. <laughs> yes. I, I wrote my dissertation on, you know, the fact that children can process horror much more than a lot of adults think, and you know, mm -hmm. children's stories typically, but not always have the happy ending or at least a safe ending yes and that they if you've grown up in a stable household and you haven't grown up hyper vigilant then you can um 
read these stories and they can be as scary as all hell, but you don't feel dread. You might feel scared while you're reading them, but you know everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, and in that way, you know, one of my personal favourites will always be Coraline. Mm, mm. Phenomenal book, phenomenal film. I can't believe we didn't talk about that in the last episode. Oh, yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> um, I can talk about Coraline for a very long time. And the film is phenomenal. I love everything like it does. But the book is even scarier. Yeah. And a lot of adults, when I used to try and sell it as a kid's bookseller, would just look at me like I was mental. And it was like, no, kids love this. Kids love it. Because they know that they're safe. Yeah. And by extension, you know, those kids grow up. If you're neurodivergent, you're not just neurodivergent as a child. Yeah. You're a neurodivergent adult. Yeah. You're a queer adult. You it doesn't just stop when you pay taxes, you know, you <laughs> you grow, but you don't change all that much. And yeah, it's an expression of the rage and the violence and everything kind of within you. You can express it in a safe way. Hopefully, you know, like we said, hopefully if you're in a safe place. But yeah, I found a lot of comfort in horror as, you know, being able to control it when I couldn't yeah. control my yeah. life or anything that was happening to me. I mean, certainly I had a draw to horror from a really young age. Um, yeah, we mentioned the Darren Shan books, which I think we will probably um, do a... That fucked me up. It gets worse. I know. But, but, but that was the first one. I read them out of order. I oh, read Beck first. Beck is the best, though. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. phenomenal. Um, I read the Cirque de Freak series first. That was mine. I read the Cirque de Freak series second. The Demon Artist series was my introduction. And I went back to it time and time again and reread it. And they are fucked up <laughs> and brutal. We shouldn't have been reading those at the age we were reading them. I don't think it messed me up, though. <laughs> no, it didn't. I, it was just brutal. I really don't. Like... Yeah. The other thing is, depending on your experience, at a certain age, there are things that will go over your head. Yeah. There are things that will go over your head. Um, but I had a really interesting experience with horror because I was very attracted to it as a kid. And I think, you know, there are people who are just drawn to this stuff as well. I mean, we can talk about queerness, we can talk about neurodivergence, but also, it's just what we like. Mm-hmm. It's just, we're just interested in it. Yeah. Morbid curiosity is a thing. I work at fucking funeral directors. Like people are interested um you know people when i tell them that people are interested in my job and you know um but i had an interesting experience because up until about the age of 12 13 i love this kind of stuff watched horror films read horror um and then i my my, i was because of my family i was put in a place essentially where i was shamed out of it um and it it wasn't allowed and um yeah so i could no longer have it as an outlet and i could no longer use it as a way to see myself and my experiences and that was sort of taken from me up until fairly recently and the thing about safe space is when you've not had a safe space is if you're if you've become convinced that no no space is safe Mm. then even the idea of watching a horror film in your own home is scary even the very idea of being scared is terrifying because you feel like it's going to affect you as though you're actually there um and I've met other people who 
sort of have experienced that as well, where you feel that even something fictional is too much. And I've taught myself that it's not, you know, like thankfully because Meg here is a safe space for me, the addition of not just being in a safe space physically, but being held in the safe space, space, place, safe space. In, oh no, I still. <laughs> <laughs> we know, we know. Yes, what you're yes, emotionally yeah. as well and relationally, change things, and I've been able to really enjoy horror again. That's one of the reasons that you know I was able to start this podcast and talk at all you lovely people about you know my love for weird horror shit too but it's it's so important to be able to experience that as well and and horror movies let us have that and taste a little bit of like gets your heart racing gets your blood running but it's not actually happening to you and you can you can choose it which is choice it's not always possible in this world so you know, don't take it for granted, the choices that you can make. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think um, a lot of the early horror films are really interesting in that as well. Because mm. we talked a little bit about how some of them aren't, like, outly queer. Yeah. But then you've got things like Hill House, mm. the original Hill House film, yeah. which is very sapphic. Um, and like queer horror, obviously specifically you're creating a safe space for other queer people too. Or if you want to look at Dracula, you know, you had the director James Whale who was gay. Um, and from what I know, he didn't make any other horror films, I think, beyond that. And maybe a couple of others, I think, but his, his run in, in Hollywood was very short because he found it difficult to to be accepted and because he wasn't allowed to tell the stories that he wanted to tell because he wanted to see himself reflected um, on the big screen. But then sometimes as well, we just watch it for fun. Like if you're gonna watch Rocky Horror, you know, something like that. If you're gonna watch um, Meatloaf get <laughs> butchered. Yeah. I always forget it's Meatloaf. I know, I know. <laughs> It just pops up. Yeah. I always forget Meatloaf's in Fight Club as well. Is he? Yeah. Oh my god, you have to point that out to me. <laughs> total, total tangent as well, but yeah. the first time I watched... Was it the first time I watched it? I think it might have been the first time I watched Fight Club. Was after... The day after my 21st birthday. Was it? Yeah. Huh. And, um... We'd, we'd obviously arranged to... No, I think it was maybe the second time I watched oh, it. Oh, we went... Yeah, the Lido. The outdoor yeah. cinema. And Lol. <laughs> to say I was hungover, to put it into perspective, Meg texted me... You texted me at, like, 2pm that day to be like, are you alive? Yeah. Because you'd not <laughs> heard concerned. from me. And then I had to, like, sit outside. It was really cold. It was really, really cold. cold. <laughs> like, seven and I was there, like... So I think it's no wonder that I don't quite remember um, where Meatloaf was <laughs> in Fight Club. <laughs> How did we get onto Fight Club? I don't know, I don't oh, know. I oh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, right, let's try and get this back on track. Um, um, I never watched them, but you enjoyed the Fear Street. 
Fear Street is good. Fear Street is good. It is a trilogy. Um, I really wasn't expecting as much from it as Mm. it gave, actually. Like, they're not, you know, they're not winning any awards, breaking any boundaries, but they're a lot of fun. Um, Very Stranger Things. They are, yeah. yeah, So he did a book, um, it's YA rather than, like, Goosebumps being, like, sort of 9 to 12. So it's for a little bit of an older audience. Um... And I've, I've not read the book, I'd like to, but um, yeah, the films are good. Like I said, if you like Stranger Things, then you'll really enjoy them. Yeah. And it lives up to a lot, a lot of like 80s horror movie tropes mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Um, and it is queer. Um, you've got like, you know, people at camp. You've got... Um, Oh, I don't. I don't want to ruin it actually because if you watch all three, there's a lot of intersecting stuff. But the third one is really interesting and well done, and I was not expecting it to go there okay. at all because it goes like full Salem, nice. and you're like, <laughs> like at first I was like, why are we back in time? Mm. Like what? Because it goes slowly further back, yeah. and then you're like, this is a jump. This is not slowly further back. This is like hundreds of years. Um, but stick with it because they. I think they pull it off. I do. I do. I think you'd enjoy it. I think it helped that I like binge watched all three of them. Oh yeah, when I when I watched them. I'll yeah, do it that way. you want to do a marathon, like get a shit ton of popcorn and, and a load of friends, and or just you know me and you. But <laughs> <laughs> you are my load of friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, what else have we got? Oh, the Lost Boys. Oh, the Lost Boys. The Lost Boys is so brilliant. And, I mean, what more do you need to know about The Lost Boys apart from the obvious when it opens with the saxophone player? <sighs> the a queer icon. Mm. He literally just shows, like, all he does now is just shows up at, like, Pride and other festivals and just is that character. But he was on, um, I think it was Unworn Stories on Netflix. Did you ever see it? No. So it was, um, <laughs> it was stories of like iconic pieces of clothing and the people who'd worn them. Um, and he's on it with his like leather, is it a thong? Like, I'm trying to... with pants at least. But he's on it and obviously he talks about, you know, being very well known <laughs> for Lost Boys and doing lots of Pride events. But he was in like, a lot of very important successful bands and all that anyone remembers <laughs> him from is the like four second intro not gonna lie the Lost Boys. there's a lot worse things but well, no he's happy about it be. okay but he's yeah. just like, you see all these like awards and like mm. golden records on his wall and all his guitars and it's like oh he's actually guitars saxophone <laughs> Very sexy vampires sexy, running around sexy everywhere. You know I love Keith Sutherland. Also, just like waterfalls of blood. Yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, no. but like, it's like amazing. there's just yeah something iconic about like someone opens a door and just a tidal wave <laughs> of blood comes out, and at that point you're just like, okay, they're not even trying to be realistic. Let's go. No. Let's go. I know, but like some of them take themselves like seriously. Um and then of course, if you're gonna talk about vampire horror. I was hoping that was the uh thank you. 
interview with a vampire. Just Louis. Oh, sweet baby Louis. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> baby Brad Pitt. Baby, baby Brad Pitt. Oh, they're all babies. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what to say no. because, like, it's horror, it's gay. So gay. Antonio Banderas. He's so hot in it. He's so hot in everything. I mean, yeah, but with the long hair and everything, like... It's just gays everywhere. Yeah. Gays through time. Yeah. <laughs> Causing a ruckus. <laughs> <laughs> and eating people. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. There's, I, what can you say about Interview with the Vampire? It's so iconic. Yeah. Um, and neither of us have watched the series. No, they're canonically gay, aren't they? They are. They're, cano- they're having like mid-air vampire sex uh-huh. whilst biting each other. It's very, very gay, and I mean, like, obviously, you've got like the the sort of blood homoerotic, uh-huh. like specifically sort of gay men connection and the danger of that. And I don't think it's like um, surprising that you know the book and the film came out when they did. Yeah considering um, everything that was going on at the time. Yes. Yeah. But then that's like, you know, very much true life horror story. Mm. If you're going to talk about the AIDS crisis, which we won't go into too much. but certainly you cannot look at vampire horror no. without sort of bringing that into the equation if you're going to talk about queer, like queerness. Absolutely. Um, and I, especially because it is something that's transmitted, you know. Mm. And especially because vampires are always seducers. Yeah. So vampirism can literally always be seen as an STI. Mm-hmm. Like, it, yeah. it, it can be, because whether it's lesbians, whether it's gay men, like, whatever it is... Mm. You know, it, it can always yeah, be read true. that way. Yeah. Um, they're just sexy, sexy <laughs> undead people. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, vampire book, mm. right? But all the vampire hunters are asexual. Yeah. Somebody write this. <laughs> so I'm I'm giving you this is my my intellectual property, but I'm giving you free uh, reign. Please. Shit out of that. An asexual vampire hunter school. I don't know. <laughs> so that just sounds like a convent. <laughs> There's a difference between abstinence and asexuality. No, that's more like your lesbian nun area. You know, that's oh, yeah. more like. <laughs> God. Um, I need that. Yeah. In my life. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this too long now trying to keep it on track Um, again one that kind of again falls into the vampire it's not kind of canonically queer but what we do in the shadows (sighs) absolutely has the queer camp vibes it has such camp vibes so good creepy paper (laughs) great paper If, if you haven't seen it, if you haven't seen the film, if you haven't seen the TV series, Wellington, Wellington Paranormal? 
Yeah. Is that what it's called? The other spin-off TV series. So good. They're just they're oh. just fantastic. Um It's just yeah. great. I, I'm not someone who likes mockumentaries. I normally mm. find them really insufferable. But it's because it's it's characters. actually not cringe. No. Like the characters are cringy. cringy yeah. But the thing itself isn't no. cringe. It's, it's genuinely very funny. Yeah. Like and me telling you it's very funny makes it sound like it's mm. not. But your listeners probably trust you. I hope so. I do. <laughs> that doesn't mean much. I mean, anything that Taika Waititi is involved in. There's a baby like, in that. And they all are. Yeah, they're all. Yeah. They're all wee babes. It's just three, well, four vampires mm. living together. Um, in a flat share, basically. In a flat share that have been living together for hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, and it just charts their regular life. Yeah. Just, just, Who's doing the dishes? Oh, not doing the dishes. Oh, not doing the dishes. Um, it's just great. And then the the series, um, which is a kind of a new set of vampires, mm. um, including Matt including Berry, Matt Berry oh. is just an icon. Um, it was very queer to me. Have you ever watched Toast of London? No. Because in that, I'm, I'm very, he plays an actor in that. So like, actors are gay. Yeah. That's the thing, I don't think he is queer. No. He just screams queer, <laughs> In a good way, you know, it's a compliment. <laughs> like, we, we kind of grew up on the IT crowd, so. Yeah, for, for better or worse. <laughs> this has descended. Uh, yes, yeah. it has. Again, like, not kind of canonically, but Adam's family... Well, yeah, as we were saying earlier, Adam's family, like Morticia and Gomez, have very T for T vibes mm. where you have a short king with a small mustache and like a tall statuesque Amazonian, you know, sort of goddess of a woman. Not that that epitomizes every trans man and trans woman, but. <laughs> There's correlations. But if, yeah, if you're gonna. Um, go down that route then um you can totally see it yeah and although you know they are family i've always felt that the adams family are very much found family yes well i mean you have like gomez whatever exactly he is because i'm not even sure like is he just a human i think he is there's i mean i haven't read the original comics no um where it originally started he's always given me vampire vibes I don't know if he actually is. I don't know, and because and, of course, like, I mean, ostensibly they're all human, mm. but then you have Uncle Fester. Yeah, and My favorite. <laughs> like the thing, and Hand, and Lurch, where you know it's it's not as obviously like here's a vampire, here's a werewolf. My mother's a witch. Like it's what I'm saying is it's not the monsters. No, which we love. No. Monsters also excellent, yeah. but it's. Again, yeah, it's almost like if the monsters were flying under the radar a bit more. Yeah. Not that they fly under the radar at all, it's just that they seem more like your like local unfriendly goth family. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than literally being yeah. supernatural creatures. Um, yeah, and I think it's so like Gomez and Morticia's Morticia's relationship is so like oh they're so weird. It's like what because they absolutely love each other. Fucking couple girls. <laughs> Are you kidding me? At the time, like all of all you saw on TV was the nagging wife. Yeah. And a bored husband who clearly fucking hates his wife. Yeah. And then, like, they adore each other. They do. They're complete couple goals. They do. But it's weird. I know. It's weird that they like each other. 
It's 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 so bizarre that it's like, and that's maybe partly what feels so queer about yeah, it. I think so. Is it's like it's not the nuclear family. Yeah, mm. and and queer people are very much like if you love your other half, you love the fuck out of them, mm-hmm. um, because you don't take for granted the fact that like you're allowed to marry them yeah. or be with them openly. Obviously, depending on where you live mm-hmm. and when you live. Um, but, you know, like, in, in a way, they cotton onto that, like, you're loving in defiance mm. of something. They're loving in defiance of sort of, quote unquote, normal people, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but it's intense and it's passionate and they're not embarrassed by it. Yeah. Like, you know, I think, especially men, you know, uh, sort of brought up to be embarrassed to be that passionately yeah. in love mm-hmm. when, like, it's just bullshit. Mm-hmm. And the whole family is love as well. Yes. It's not just the romantic relationship, yeah. which is a lovely, um, a lovely romantic relationship, yeah. but, yeah. you know, they, they've spent years trying to look for Fester. Yeah. You know, Wednesday is allowed to try and murder her brother because <laughs> it makes her happy. You know, they're they're very much about being their authentic selves, and yes. I think that's very yes under the radar queer. Yes, in the best way. Exactly. Exactly. Like you could fully and and the thing about queer codedness is queer codedness is is just as um, like as important in some ways as queer outwardness mm-hmm. because if you've if you've lived like um in in the closet then y- you'll understand what that feels like and the adams family are very much not living in the closet yeah. they refuse to not be themselves and that's why they're perceived as a threat yeah yeah mm-hmm. um just the bit I kind of prefer the second one it's, it's I love both the bit at the end with Wednesday during the play and the little yeah. blonde girl is like I'm a victim and Wednesday goes all your, all life. your life yeah <laughs> Festa in the like heart apron is me that, that's a clear explanation I am me. convinced that Instagram has something against me why because so we have a group chat mm-hmm. for spooky films and our spooky film club. Mm-hmm. So for the longest time, Fester in his heart apron yeah. was our image. Yeah. It keeps disappearing. What? It keeps just no. randomly disappearing. So I, there's something going on. There's mm. something going on. How dare you? I know. I know. Obviously, Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> this is like Karen, but like Fester specific. Yeah. Yeah. She's so good in that as well, though. She's, she's great awful, everybody. but she's fantastic. Anyway. She's allowed to be evil. She's she allowed to be is. evil. Yeah, Another and we love example. her for it. Yeah. Like, I mean, we hate her, but we love her. We only really hate her because we love Festa. Well, yeah, that is true. <laughs> if she was married to someone who wasn't Festa, Yeah, this is true. <laughs> no. <laughs> On that note, yeah. um, I can't think of any more queer films right no, now off the top right of now. my head. Um, so we will 
leave you to your evening, your day, your knitting, whatever it is you're doing while you listen to this podcast. I mean, if you're doing that, please don't tell me. I don't want to be incriminated. Um, Although, actually, if you mention it when, um, you know, you eventually get caught, then at least my ratings would go through the roof. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Meg, very much. Thank you for having me. For being here today. So there you have it. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and that you'll go and have a watch of some of our queer and spooky faves. And if you have any spooky queer favourite movies, please give me your recommendations. If you are also a lover of the dark, the strange and possibly of cursed literature, join me over on TikTok at Definitions and on Instagram and on Twitter now, where I also chronicle and recommend all of my favourite morbid books. If you have any thoughts to share about the podcast or your own impending mortality, drop them in the comments below. Reviews and ratings go a long way in helping to get this podcast out there, and I greatly appreciate the support. I want to tell you guys about all this weird stuff as much as you want to hear about it. The more you let me know you're out there listening, the more I'm inspired to delve into the depths of the internet and my local library to bring you these twisted tales. The Definitions podcast is researched, written, and read by me, Jasper Chanter, with music provided by Zapsplat. Anyway, chop chop, break's over, pick that shovel up, that grave's not gonna dig itself. Bye bye for now, listeners. Catch you on the other side. <laughs>